Well, good morning again. Are you well? Good. My name is John. If I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you, I serve Mission Church as the lead pastor. I'm grateful to be with you this morning. I'm, I'm honored to have the opportunity to gather with you this morning and to worship with you and to share God's Word with you. If you have a Bible, would you open it up to Matthew chapter 7? Today we find ourselves back into our sermon series in the book of Matthew, specifically the Sermon on the Mount, a sermon that many have accurately described as the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher who's ever done it, who has ever preached, who's ever lived. And so far in his sermon, Jesus has taught us a few things. In chapter 5, he taught us how to relate to God's law, and then moving into chapter 6, he taught us how to relate to the world around us. And now here in chapter 7, he teaches us how to relate to our neighbors, how to relate to one another. Now if you're able to, I want to invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. I told you to open your Bible, and here's mine sitting unopened. So give me one second. Hear the Word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Do not judge so that you won't be judged. For you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others, and you will be measured by the same measure you use. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the splinter out of your eye, and look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye? Hypocrite! First take the beam of wood out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. Don't give what is holy to dogs or toss your pearls before pigs, or they will trample them under their feet, turn, and tear you to pieces. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. Lord, we need you to properly understand your text, your instruction. So I pray, Lord, that you would soften our hearts. Lord, we pray this all the time, but Lord, we're desperate for You. Many of us, we've come this morning with hearts that have been hardened by calluses. Lord, whether it's unrepentant sin, unbelief, or maybe there's no faith, the fact is that there's hearts that have calluses that have built up. I pray, Lord, that You would soften our hearts so that we could be sensitive to the moving of Your Spirit in our lives so that we might know You. Lord, that we can understand who it is that you've called us to be as your followers. Lord, would you equip us this morning as we would, so that we would be prepared leaving these doors to live on the mission that you've called us to. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart might be pleasing and acceptable to you. God, you are our rock and our redeemer, and we love you and give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Arguably, one of the most well-known verses in the Bible, you might think it's John 3.16, but I would argue with you more so that one of the most most well-known verses in the Bible is, judge not so that you won't be judged. These words resonate universally. And this is true regardless of your faith. However, this verse's popularity is matched by a widespread misinterpretation, misunderstanding, and misapplication of these words. 
In fact, the fabric of our current era is encapsulated by the, the, the popular mantra. Maybe you've heard it. Just follow your heart. And the result is a culture where self-actualization and personal fulfillment prevail. Within this mindset, the notion that no one has the right to judge or correct others has taken root. Judgment or corrections are met with, with disdain, challenging the very concept of authority. Who gives you the right to judge me? Who gives you the right to correct me, to criticize me? Consider this paradox. While our society rejects the idea of judgment, our daily interactions with one another from social media to personal conversations are saturated with judgment, with criticism and correction. The truth is we live in a world that denies the existence of an objective truth. And as a result, navigating through the clash between biblical values and society's emphasis on individual autonomy creates a challenge for us as we pursue a life of righteousness. Remember earlier in his sermon, Jesus proclaimed that the religious elite had been wrongly considered as the the ultimate height of righteousness. And he called us to live a life of righteousness that superseded, that, that went above and beyond that of the scribes and the Pharisees, this religious elite. But Jesus also knew that, well... Our human tendency is to take truth and to use it. Use it to feed a new kind of hypocritical supremacy within us. See here, Jesus, He's wanting to make sure that the same hypocritical followers of the Pharisees did not become His own hypocritical followers. But let's be honest. Many of us have fallen into similar patterns of pharisaical self-righteousness. So the question becomes, how can we avoid the trap of self-righteous judgment when the biblical principles that we hold clash with the cultural emphasis on personal autonomy and the pursuit of happiness? What do we do? Well, our text this morning is quite helpful, for it reveals that that if we're going to sidestep this pitfall of self-righteous condemnation amid the clash of biblical values and a society's emphasis on individual autonomy, we must lean on the transformative power of the gospel. We must humbly recognize our need for God's grace. We must embody Christ's example of seeking humility and discernment and fostering mercy and love in our interactions with others. We're going to see this clearly from our text this morning in three instructions, three movements. Number one, how to judge rightly. Number two, how to judge wrongly. And number three, how to judge with discernment. If you're taking notes, they'll pop back up in just a moment. But how to judge rightly, how to judge wrongly, and how to judge with discernment. Let's begin with number one, how to judge rightly. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, Do not judge so that you won't be judged, for you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others, and you will be measured by the same measure you use. Now, as we said, this verse holds significant popularity in contemporary culture. And I think this makes sense because at first glance, it it seems as though Jesus is calling for tolerance. It seems as though Jesus is granting everyone here a free pass, as though He's writing a blank check. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, look, if you refrain from judging others, you are insured personal exemption and leniency. 
However, it's crucial that we understand that this is not at all what Jesus is saying here. In fact, no point in Scripture does Christ advocate for a complete elimination of judgment. Nowhere in, in, the, in the Word does it say that. Here in verse 1, Jesus he is helping us. He is pointing us to steer clear from judging others without discernment. We know this to be true because we are called in light of God's law to evaluate human behavior. We are, we are called in light of God's law to determine and discern what behavior is good and what behavior is evil. Remember the context of our passage and what Jesus said just moments before in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Consider also what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. In other words, apart from the grace of God, this is important, apart from the grace of God and the toning work of Christ on the cross, we cannot look to ourselves and expect any kind of hope for us in this life or the next. The truth is, the bar has been set extremely high for every one of us. And every one of us have broken God's law. We've all missed the mark. We have fallen extremely short of the infinitely high standard that God has set for all of us. Consider Romans 3, verse 23, which says, For all have sinned, and all have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. Consider also Romans chapter 6, verse 23, that says, This is what we've earned as a result of falling short. The wages of sin is death. Oh, but there's good news. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, God judges sin, and the judgment of sin is death. But the good news is, is that for those of us who have trusted in Jesus as Savior, and who have submitted to Him as Lord and King of our lives, we have received eternal life. For He has paid that penalty of death upon the cross. That's good news. Amen? Brothers and sisters, we should celebrate at this fact. We should celebrate now the life that we have in Christ. We should rest in God's grace. We should rest in God's mercy. And these truths should lead us to a realization of the seriousness of sin. In other words, we cannot take Jesus' words here in Matthew chapter 7 and confuse them as an instruction to condone or tolerate sin, especially sin in the body of Christ. In fact, this word tolerance is nothing more than a mere catchword. It's a buzzword that's began to infiltrate our culture and infiltrate the church about 20 years ago. And today, our society has moved beyond mere tolerance to an absolute affirmation and acceptance of sin. This is particularly true regarding unbiblical views of manhood and womanhood, as well as areas of human sexuality and abortion. Understand, Jesus, He's not telling us that we are to refrain from judging these things as sinful, as wrong, as evil. Our culture would tell us that judge not isn't even enough. Our culture would say to us that, that we must accept or we, we must judge these areas positively because if we don't, you will be condemned in the eyes of the world. And so in light of this, we have to be clear. As we approach Jesus' words in Matthew 7, we have to be clear and we have to see and be confident in the truth that Jesus condemns sin. 
And Jesus demands His church to also faithfully proclaim the Word of God and to condemn sin. But here's the thing. If this was a coin, there's two sides. One side, Jesus calls us to condemn sin. And on the other side of the coin, He calls us to love sinners. And He says, do not judge so that you won't be judged. And if we're honest, friends, this is the point where we get confused. This is where we often miss the mark in our relationships. And the question we need to consider is, how do we balance these two things? How do we do this? Well, brothers and sisters, we can't read what Jesus says in chapter 7 and then say, well, that does away with what Jesus said in chapter 5. The Bible doesn't work like that. We have to hear all of Jesus' words and take Him at His word. And Jesus, He commands us to condemn sin and be faithful declaring God's word And He tells us to refrain from judging. How? Look back at verse 1. Underline or circle the word judge. The word judge here is taken from the Greek word krino. And this word is taken from the legal vocabulary of the day. It has to do with a gavel of a judge coming down when he issues a sentence of condemnation, a sentence of punishment. In other words, The kind of judgment that Jesus calls us to refrain from here is the judgment of condemnation. And so we can more accurately interpret Jesus' words here as condemn not so that you will not be condemned. Friends, Jesus is saying this. Stop pretending to sit in the place of God as judge over other people as though you are qualified to do so. Stop evaluating other people's lives as though you know the whole story. Stop making judgments and pronouncements about the entirety of other people's lives. Friends, we are not the final judge. Rather, we are called to declare God's law. We are called to declare God's gospel until Jesus returns for His final judgment. Until then, we are to judge rightly And judging rightly is done by condemning sin, by warning people of God's final judgment. And we can judge rightly by calling people to find hope in the good news of the Gospel. Hope in the truth that good works and good morals cannot save you, but that salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And we are to judge rightly with a judgment of charity, not condemnation. A judgment of charity interprets other people's actions particularly their actions towards us in the best of all possible lights. Which leads us to our second instruction. How to judge wrongly. You guys doing okay? How to judge wrongly. When we judge others with a judgment of condemnation, which is a judgment that interprets other people's actions in the worst of all possible lights, When we do that, we judge wrongly. I love what R.C. Sproul says about these verses. And uh, I tried to think of a, a clever way to say this, but I couldn't, so I thought I would just read it to you. Sproul says this, Jesus calls attention to our tendency to give the judgment of charity to ourselves, but not to others. We interpret our failures and sins in the best of all possible lights. 
In fact, we often do not call our sin sin. We refer instead to our mistakes and bad decisions. We must never judge the motives of another because we cannot possibly know what motivates another unless we are told. It is safest to avoid even attempting to read someone's motives. We can look at what was done and evaluate whether the action was good or bad, but only God knows the heart of what motivated that particular behavior. Jesus' point is that nothing will tear up the church faster than those who make harsh judgments about others. Now Jesus, He's speaking here to brothers and sisters in Christ. And He says, look at verse 3, Why do you look at a splinter in your brother's eye? Now, We've all had something in our eyes before, right? We've all experienced the pain and the discomfort of having something in our eye. A few months ago, I was hanging Christmas lights. And as I was hanging the light, something fell from the tree and fell into my eye. And it was so discombobulating and painful, I almost fell off the ladder. It was a sight to behold. At least it was for my son Lincoln, who was standing at the foot of the ladder, chuckling at his poor old dad. And as he laughed, I did what you're not supposed to do when you get something in your eye, right? I began rubbing my eye, trying to get it out, and the result was a scratched cornea and weeks of discomfort. You see, getting something in your eye is uncomfortable at best, painful at worst. It's painful. Now, rather than laughing, if, if my son Lincoln was able to relieve my comfort and take the speck out of my eye, well, that would have been a nice thing. And although I would never want Link's fingers in my eye for any reason whatsoever, This is what Jesus is talking about. Jesus takes what starts out as normal and He brings it into the absurd as He begins to speak in hyperbole. Why do you you look at the splinter in your brother's eye but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? This word notice is a strong word. It means to mindfully contemplate. It means to clearly perceive. It shares the same root. This is wild. It shares the same root as the word repentance. In other words, man, you clearly see what's happening in your brother's eye, but you have no clue what's going on in your own eye. And it's crazy because you don't just have a mild irritant. You don't have something that's causing a little bit of discomfort, bro. You have something that is completely rendering you incapable of sight. You have something that's completely blinding you. And look what Jesus says in verse 4. How can you say to your brother, let me take that splinter out of your eye? And look, there's a beam in your own eye. Hypocrite! First take the beam of wood out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. Now, if you and I were out hiking in the woods, and we come across a mountain lion, here's what I know. I know that I don't have to outrun that mountain lion. I simply have to outrun you. As long as I can outrun you, I will be fine. That's funny, and I want to assure you that that I would fight that lion so that you could go free. I would. But the truth is, many of us live with this mentality, especially when it comes to the judgment of God. We think, as long as I'm not as bad as that guy, as long as I'm, I'm more put together than that gal, well then, I'm going to be safe. And the result of this mentality, friends, is a self-righteous attitude that pays all kinds of attention to the dust in other people's eyes while you are completely oblivious to the fact that you are blinded by your own sin. 
Stop being a hypocrite, Jesus says, and repent. Repent. Brothers and sisters, sin blinds us. Sin shapes our desires. Sin pollutes our minds. Sin leads us to justify ourselves. Sin leads us to rationalize our sin. Sin warps the way that we see other people. It impedes our ability to rightly judge others. See, although all of us are guilty of major sins and failures in our lives, we so easily call attention to a tiny blemish in the life of someone else, don't we? I believe the reason why we direct attention to the splinter in someone else's eye, here's what I think. I think we do this because we want to distract attention from the, we, the, the, the wood beam in our own eye. You see, when we have beams of wood, we consider them as splinters. And when we see splinters in other people's eyes, we consider them as beams of wood. I'm going to say that again. When we have beams of wood in our eye, we consider them splinters. And when we see splinters in other people's eyes, we see them as beams of wood. And this truth is how sin destroys human relationships. This is how sin destroys churches. This is why Jesus says, be careful how you judge. Because if you judge wrongly, if you judge with a judgment of condemnation, what goes around is going to come around and you will be judged with the same judgment of condemnation. That's what Jesus says here in the text. Brothers and sisters, understand, your righteousness is the righteousness of Christ that you received as a gift. And your practical righteousness is the Holy Spirit working in you to produce the likeness of Christ. God is the one who has started the good work in you. God is the one who is continuing the good work in you. And God is the one who will see it to completion. The truth is that during this process, all of us, every one of us, battles against sin. And we will all fight this battle until we stand before the Lord at the end of our days. 1 John tells us of this wonderful picture that's going to happen. When we stand before the Lord, we will become as He is. And we look forward to that day. But in the meantime, we will all battle against sin. And although sin is still a reality, God has given us a gift called the church. And in the church, we are called and instructed to help each other deal with the sin that remains in our lives. We are to do so compassionately. We are to do so from the right perspective that every one of us is guilty. The Gospel provides us with a perspective, friends. The Gospel provides us with a perspective that it leads us to reject any form of self-righteousness and to be constantly judging our own sins so that we will be quick to confess them. That we would be quick to repent so that we might be quick to receive the righteousness that comes from Christ alone. Brothers and sisters, when we live with the gospel perspective, we will always be quick to notice the beam of wood in our own eye. And we will notice that first. We will be quick to see our own moral and spiritual blindness. And we will be quick to turn to Jesus as a result. We will be quick to point our friends, those who might have splinters, we'll be quick to point them to a Savior. The same Savior that removed the beam of wood in our our eyes is quick and willing and able to remove the splinter from theirs. 
In other words, in this passage, Jesus is urging us, Mission Church, to embody a love that has a capacity to cover a multitude of sins. That you and I would live with a love that has a capacity that covers a multitude of sins. And while addressing a significant sin demands serious attention, when dealing with minor offenses, offenses that don't adversely impact the entire church or the entire community, we are called to shield one another with love. See, if I see a splinter in my brother's eye, I'm called to cover up in my soul with love. And if my brother sees a splinter in my eye, he must do the same. We must, not destroy, we must not destroy the body of Christ over sawdust. Which is Jesus' point here. Friends, gospel-soaked confrontation of sin is a valuable thing within the church. This leads us now to the third and final instruction from our text. Number three, how do, how do we judge with discernment? And this last verse is it's wild. It feels like it's out of place. And this final instruction, as we'll see, it's a bit ironic. Because to obey what Jesus is about to say, it requires us to execute judgment. And that's what Jesus is instructing us in the previous verses. He's leading us up to this point. This is why He's telling us this is how to judge rightly. This is how to judge wrongly. He wants to help us understand the difference between a judgment of condemnation and a judgment of, of charity, a judgment of discernment. And Jesus concludes His discourse by calling us to judge unbelievers here with discernment. Look at verse 6. Don't give what is holy to dogs or toss your pearls before pigs or they will trample them under their feet, turn and tear you to pieces. I love dogs. I do. I love dogs. If I see a dog, I'm, I'm quick to turn my head. My whole family, we're dog people. We have two dogs. River is a mutt and she's deaf, but she's a nice dog. She's sweet and she loves the kids and protects them. Bones, he's a French bulldog and his full name is Fletrick Boneshofer, named after the great German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He's a funny dog. He rivals me in snoring and he just lays around all day passing gas. I love dogs. I love them. But the dogs that Jesus is referring to in verse 6, he's not talking about river or bones. Rather, he's talking about scavengers. You see, dogs in Israel, they were not fuzzy, cute household pets, but rather they were despised and they were feared. And they were held in the same regard as pigs in a pigsty. Both of these animals in this day were seen as unclean and unworthy. And anyone who had good sense would not feed a dog, they wouldn't feed a pig with the choicest cut of meat. They're not throwing the ribeye or the, the filet to the dogs, but rather they reserved the gristle. They reserved the inedible portions for these scavengers. In the same way, Jesus is saying here, just as you wouldn't give the ribeye to the dogs, you need to have the same good sense to not get what is holy to the dogs. Now, the question is begging to be asked, well, who are the dogs? Who are these pigs? Well, they are the people who have made it their mission to hate God. These are the people who have made it their mission to hate the things of God, to hate the church of God, to hate the mission of God. Now, understand what Jesus is not saying here. Jesus is not calling us to hate or reject such people. Remember what Jesus did. He sent out His disciples on their mission in Matthew chapter 10. Verses 11-14, through 14, He instructed them, When you enter any town or village, find out who is worthy and stay there until you leave. 
Greet a household when you enter it. And if the household is worthy, let your peace be on it. But if it is unworthy, let your peace return to you. If anyone does not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that house or town. Brothers and sisters, God is talking about His law. He's talking about His Gospel. And God's law and God's Gospel is unfathomably glorious. In fact, God's law and God's Gospel is the holy thing that Jesus is speaking of here in verse 6. And the truth is, there will be times when you are obedient to faithfully proclaim the good news of the Gospel. Whether it's at home, at your workplace, in your community, you will be faithful to share your faith. To point people to the truth that we are all sinners. But Jesus, He paid the penalty that we deserve. That He rose from the grave and He offers life to anyone who who confesses with their mouth and believe in their heart that He is God. You'll be faithful to, 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 to share that. To proclaim the law. To lead a sinner to feel convicted of their sin. And even though that you are faithful in your sharing of the Gospel, even though you are faithful in your sharing of God's grace and you plead with this sinner to repent and believe, there will be times when people do not receive what you're putting down. And not only will they not receive the good news of the Gospel, but there are some who turn into rabbit dogs and they revile you. They seek to devour you. There will be people who treat God, who treat the people of God and the mission of God with contempt. In fact, just like foolish pigs, the text says, they trample the goodness of God's Word under their feet. And it's in these situations that Jesus is reminding us, look, you are not God. And even if you have removed the wooden beam from your own eye, you cannot make pigs and dogs listen to you. Let alone hear and receive the good news of the Gospel. And it's in these moments we are called to judge with a judgment of discernment and trust God with these folks. In other words, do not adopt a hard heart towards an unbeliever. Rather, Jesus is instructing us to be discerning in our proclamation of the law and the Gospel. We are to discern the mind while not judging harshly the heart. Brothers and sisters, it would be a horrible misrepresentation of Jesus' teaching here in these six verses to say that Christians should not judge. As we have seen this morning, that's just not true. In fact, we must judge, but we also must do it rightly. And that means that we're not to sit on the seat of judgment over other Christians as though God, as though we were God, and as though we had no sin. Rather, friends, we are to first judge ourselves. We are to remember the blood our debt has required. And then and only then are we to discern and humbly evaluate others. And we always do so through the lens of the gospel, confronting sin with humility and mercy. I'm going to say that one more time and then we'll close in prayer. We are to judge ourselves first. We are to remember the blood our debt requires. And then and only then are we to discern and humbly evaluate others. And we also always do so through the lens of the Gospel, confronting sin with humility and mercy. Let's pray. Lord, we love You. We thank You. Lord, You've given us a gift that we do not deserve. And that's overwhelming when you think about it. 
forgive us for striving and, and chewing our, doing everything in our own power to earn or your love, earn a standing with you. Lord, I pray that this morning we would simply rest in the good news that everything that you require of us, Lord, you have done. And we simply are called to receive and to rest. And I pray, Lord, that we would do so this morning. Lord, there are times where we have fallen into this pit of judging with a judgment of condemnation. Judging self-righteously splinters in other people's eyes while missing the fact that we have a, a two-by-four sticking out of our own. Lord, would you help us to understand the gospel? Because it only happens when we have gospel fluency. When we're able to see and reflect on what you've done for us and the, and the measure to which you've done that, that we can look at others and offer the same grace and the same mercy. But also confidently proclaim your word in calling people to repentance. Lord, help us to balance this out. Lord, we fail to, to do it well. And so forgive us and, and help us now through the instruction of your text to, to love others in the way that you've called us to love them. Lord, we give you all the glory and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.